cents, please? Thirteen. Sense when our eye will return the captivity of Zion, we will be like dreamers, then our mouth will be filled with laughter and our tongue with glad song. Mm. Then they will declare among the nations, Adonai has done greatly with these, Adonai has done greatly with us, we were gladdened. O Adonai, return our captivity like springs in the desert. Those who t tearfully sow will reap in glad song. He who bears the measure of seeds walks along weeping, but will return in exaltation a bearer of his sheaves. Name your mouth. Declare the praises of Adonai, and may all flesh bless his holy name forever. We will bless God from this time and forever. Hallelujah. Give thanks to God, for he is good, his kindness endures forever. Who can express the mighty acts of Adonai? Who can declare all his praise? Behold, I am prepared and ready to perform the possible commands of For it is said, and you shall eat, and you shall be satisfied, and you shall bless Adonai your God for the good land which he gave you. Gentlemen, let us bless. Blessed be the name of Adonai from this time and forever. Blessed be the name of Adonai from this time and forever. With the permission of the distinguished people present, let us bless he of whose we have eaten. Blessed is he of whose we have eaten and through whose goodness we live. Blessed is he of whose we have eaten and through whose goodness we live. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam hazan et oolakulo betulo echen echesed uvachamim. We thank you. We thank you, Adonai, our God, because you've given to our forefathers as a heritage, a desirable, good, and spacious land, because you removed us, Adonai, our God, from the land of Egypt, and you redeemed us from the house of bondage. For your covenant you sealed in our flesh, for your Torah that you taught us, and for your statutes that you made known to us, for life, grace, and loving kindness that you granted us, and for the provision of food with which you nourish and sustain us constantly, in every day, in every season, and every hour. For all, Adonai, our God, we thank you and bless you. May your name be blessed by the mouth of all the living continuously for all eternity. As it is written, and you shall eat, and you shall be satisfied, and you shall bless Adonai, our God, for the good land that he gave you. Blessed are you, Adonai, for the land and for the nourishment. Amen. Have mercy, we thank you, Adonai, our God, on Israel, your people, on Jerusalem, your city, on Zion, the resting place of your glory, on the monarchy of the house of David, your anointed, and on the great and holy house upon which your name is called. Our God, our Father, attend us, nourish us, sustain us, support us, Relieve us, Adonai, our God. Grant us speedy relief from all our troubles. Please make us not needful, Adonai, our God, of the gifts of human hands, nor of their loans, but only of your hand that is full, open, holy, and generous, that we not feel interstate nor be humiliated forever and ever. May it please you. May it please you, Adonai, our God. Give us rest through your commandments and through the commandment of the seventh day, this great and holy Shabbat. For this day is great and holy before you to rest on it and be content on it in love. As ordained by your will, may it be your will, Adonai, our God, there be no distress, grief, or lament on this day of our contentment. And show us, Adonai, our God, the consolation of Zion, your city, the rebuilding of Jerusalem, the city of your holiness. For you are the master of salvations and master of consolations. 
Revealed Jerusalem, the whole city, soon in our days. Blessed are you, Abner, who reveals Jerusalem his mercy. Amen. Amen. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, the Almighty, our Father, our King, our Sovereign, our Creator, our Redeemer, our Maker, our Holy One, Holy One of Yaakov, our Shepherd, the Shepherd of Israel, the King who is good, who does good for all. For every single day, He did good, He does good, He will do good to us. He was bountiful with us, He is bountiful with us, and He will forever be bountiful with us. With grace and with kindness and with mercy, with relief, salvation, success, blessing, help, consolation, sustenance, support, relief, mercy, life, peace, and all good. And of all good things, may he never deprive us. Be compassionate. may he reign over us forever. Amen. may he be blessed in heaven and on earth. Amen. may he be praised throughout all generations. May he be glorified through us forever and to the ultimate ends and be honored through us forever to all eternity. Amen. may he sustain us in honor. Amen. may he break the yoke of oppression from our necks and guide us direct to our land. Amen. may he send us from this house and from this place. May he send us He is remembered for good to proclaim to us good tidings, salvations, and consolations. Amen. May he May God bless each one of you. <laughs> The compassion one, may he bless me, my wife, and my children, and all that is mine. Amen. Ours and all that is ours, just as our forefathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob made everything, from everything, with everything. So may he bless all together with the perfect blessing, and let us say, Amen. Rick. On high, may merit be pleaded upon them and upon us for a safeguard of peace. May we receive a blessing from Adonai and just kindness from the God of our salvation and find favor and good understanding in the eyes of God and man. The compassion. The compassion one. <clears throat> May he cause us to inherit the day that will be completely a Sabbath and a rest day for eternal life. Amen. Amen. The compassion one. Bottom. The compassion one. May he make us worthy in the days of Messiah and in the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen. He, is a he who is a tower of salvations to his king and does kindness for his anointed to David and to his descendants forever. He who makes peace in his heights, may he make peace upon us and upon all, uh, and may he make peace upon us and all Israel. Now respond. Amen. Amen. Fear Adonai, you as holy ones, for there is no deprivation for his reverent ones. Young lions may want and hunger, but those who seek Adonai will not lack any good. Give thanks to Adonai, for he is good, his kindness endures forever. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Blessed is the man who trusts in Adonai, then Adonai will be his security. I was a youth and also have age, and I have not seen a righteous man forsaken, with his children begging for bread. Adonai will give might to his people, and I will bless his people with peace. Amen. Thank you, folks. That was great. So I will not uh, waste time. You are all here all day, except for uh, my friend in the corner. So uh, by way of quick review... Um, we are on the cusp, as they say, of the last month of the year, Elul, when the king is in the fields, a time of tshuva, a time of making peace with others, that you might make peace with the king for the uh, judgment that uh, is pending in the high holy days. So, Rosh Hashanah is uh, pending. We get there through the month of Elul, which starts a week from tomorrow. A week from tomorrow, you should, if you own one, blow your shofar in the morning during your shakarit prayers. 
if you don't own one and you can't afford one, see me. If you don't own one and you can't afford one, what hindereth you from being baptized, I wonder? And there you have it. Just don't get away. That's right. So, Because then it stinketh. Lord, he stinketh. Uh, Lord, it stinketh. So, uh, but it doesn't have to. Stinky shouldn't stop you. That's right. For vodka to kill all that stinky stuff. You're exactly right. I've tried it. It didn't work for me. Of course, he's the only one that tried to drink it when it came out. Oh, man. So the bottom line is, we blow the shofar every day of Elul except on the Shabbats, leading up to the day when we will blow it as we gather as a group, as a community for the Tashlik service, as we cast those stones and teach our young ones, remind ourselves that he will forget our sins. He will throw them into the depths of the sea. This is so important that we remember. We have been forgiven, okay? Mm -hmm. So that's what's coming up. The um, middle of the month, we'll uh, talk about sanctifying the moon, but the moon is a big deal in this uh, upcoming High Holy Days. As we finish the High Holy Days, we step into Sukkot, and we'll have the fourth blood moon in a row. And each of the previous three have been on the festivals that God gave to his people. So who knows? Maybe this will be the time when Israel will attack Iran. Maybe this is the time when Iran will attack Israel. Maybe this is the time when the Islamic Caliphate makes itself a united front. We don't know. All we know is that traditionally, historically, blood moons in a tetrad have had something to do with Israel. I can tell you that the last two were good for Israel. 1967-68, there was a war, and Jerusalem came under the rule of Israel for the first time in quite a while. 1948 was the one before that one, 47-48. And Israel became a nation, and the Christian church stood up and realized, you know what, maybe this Torah stuff is not just hooey. Who knows what's going to happen? That's not for us to know. What we need to do is be aware that a sign is pending. So let's look at it and let's see what's going to happen. But let's do it as a community and let's take take note of what's happening. Okay? So there we go. I have you right after you. I just had a tiny, little, tiny comment during the blowing of the shofar yes, ma'am. for the month. You also don't blow it the day before Rosh Hashanah. That's exactly correct. Yes, because mm-hmm. we want to separate, separate and set it apart. It is on a Monday, so yes. a day off from work. We got a, we got a lot of Mondays coming up. You should already know those dates. If you don't, um, if you're sending out an email. You can go to heat. You can go to heatcal.com. Heatcal.com. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna try and not only get the Tashik service on the calendar, but I'll work with Morgan to get also the prayer services that the men have decided they want to pray. Some of them are going to be great. Some of them are going to be um, at the end of fast days and so forth. We're going to have several of our key players and families in the land. What a terrible thing, eh? Right? So sorry. So, so sorry. We're going against our will. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So uh, praise God. 
May the day come when we're all in Israel for the Holy. You can always go with us. You can always go with us. We only have limited room, but we'll be glad to fit in. There it is. There it is. Suitcases are available. Because because we have because we have limited swimming's hard. Because we have limited people, because some major players will be out. If you want to pray with us, we probably won't have a minion. But if you want to spend, for example, Yom Kippur, which is a fast day. If you want to sit around and just stare at your navel and wonder why you're so hungry, great. If you'd rather come to the various places, uh, Johnny has uh, offered his home. I think I'm, I've got one or two. Um, Gregory, maybe. You know, we've got some places where we're praying. So... Come together, let's pray, and let's do that instead of just sitting around wondering. Anything else there? Uh, and so I, I think the assumption will be that we will not have a minion for those services, but if the men could just be mindful of their RSVPs, that's the only thing we're going off of. That's right. Meetup website that's good to point. determine, because I think it can make the difference of like an hour in the service. Yeah. So it, it's just helpful to know. You better possible to have 10. And we're doing that, Morgan. And we're, we're right now, we're so close to not or having a minion. It is really important. So, um, Martin boys, we're counting on you. Yeah. The Martin boys, we've got the Gordon boys, we've got uh, Nehemiah, we've got uh, Isaac, we've got some other folks that, uh, uh, you know, their schedules, new, new children and stuff. We understand. It's not a problem. But um, coming up to each one of those, if everybody could reach out to everyone else, I want Mike here so he can help with that minion as well. If I need to call him, that's fine too. If he needs to, if I need to give him a handgun in order to have him come. Actually, he, no, he there are door prizes. Nicest chair. Okay. That's right. We, we will have door prizes. Ammo will be given out of this Bribery. That's right. So, uh, so that's the deal. Okay. So I'm excited about that. Uh, we're coming to the close of the of God's month of 5775. And uh, as, we, as we do that, we've got a year of the Tzadik class. We've got a year of meeting here. We've got a year of men stepping up and uh, coming prepared uh, to read the Word of God publicly and to count themselves as men of Torah. Um, I'm thrilled, and I'm excited about that, and I love that. And uh, there's been a lot of upheaval. There's been a, a lot of changes in our community over this past year. As I said earlier, I'm working personally to try and change some of those changes. And I hope that you will as well. Um, mine will become more public over the next several weeks. Um, but I'm looking to God to move men's hearts. And I think that the best thing that ladies can do in our community is make sure your men come. And pray. Absolutely. That goes without saying. I'm assuming you're praying. But if you're home, get your man to leave the house and be a part of that minion so that we can pray together. Men, spending time with other men, Proverbs teaches us, creates sparks, creates heat, and it forges the spirits of men, and they will fight a good battle. So I'm all about that. As we are starting in this uh, last month, month and a half here, month and a week, I guess. Uh, again, the month of the world starts a week from tomorrow. Uh, to bring 5775 to a close, I just uh, want to publicly thank Joshua Spurlock, uh, one of my great sons-in-law, for uh, stepping up and taking 
what truly was becoming a burden for me uh, in not only doing the morning side of this, but also the afternoon side. And uh, he spends time studying this portion, looking at the Midrash, so that he can talk too much. No, so that he can, so that he can give you insights that probably you didn't get, but also so that he can spark conversation and thoughts and get it going here with discussion. And I'm just so very grateful for that. Joshua. So this week, we are doing the Kev, um, which if you've read your translation in your uh, your Kumash, they said this is the reward for the commandments that you do. And uh, that's one way of looking at it. But the word Kev in Hebrew, you'll recognize because it is part of one of our very favorite person's names, Yaakov, <laughs> which has to do with... Yeah, Jack. Has to do with the heel. So Ikev, Ikev is the Hebrew word for heel, um, but it also has other variations, which is why your, your translation in English probably says reward or something along those lines. The end might be it. Um, so in this particular one, the Midrash has a really funny little comment about this, and I, I thought it was a cool place to start. So the Midrash says that, um, I'm going to read the actual quote itself. If you've read the Psalms, uh, you've probably read a portion in the Psalms where God basically starts laying out how he is going to, um, he's going to get tough on the bad guys. He's not going to treat them very well, and he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna, uh, pour out his wrath and judgment on those who deserve it. And it has this funny phrase in the Psalms um, that the Midrash likes to comment on and ties it into this portion. So the Midrash says, what is meant by the next segment of the verse upon Edom? Will I cast my shoe? Which is kind of a funny thing, and to throw a shoe at somebody. Um, that's a, that is an insult, tell you what. It takes some time to do that. Middle Eastern. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, it was, that, was, um, that was Jerry Seinfeld's point. It's like if someone's going to show you their foot, like that takes time. That takes effort. That's a big deal. So um, the, the Midrash says, What's the, what is the point of this verse? What's it talking about? And they, they follow up by saying, The Holy One, blessed is he, said, When all of Israel will be prepared to repent... I will trample Edom as in a winepress with the heel of my foot. And the word heel is he kept. The Midrash connects the above exposition to our verse. God continues, when will I do this? Ikev shall be when you hearken to these ordinances, etc. In other words, so this portion that begins with Ikev, the verse says, when you do these commandments, Ikev. There'll be a reward, it'll be the end or the, or the heel. And um, the idea being that, like, when will God finally come in and fix the world? When will he overturn wickedness? When you repent, when you are righteous. That's when God's going to come in and he's going to act. So you have a way to, you have a role to play as part of this process, as part of bringing about Messiah's return. Because you recognize that passage, it says, I will trample Edom as in a wine breast. That's a quote from Isaiah. In Isaiah, it says, uh, he comes up coming from Balsra, which is a, which is a, a city owned by the people of Edom. Um, with garments red, you know he's trampled. He's trampling out the the bad guys, uh, and he's and he's got the expression of that on his garments. So we have Ikev here is saying that when you finally do what you're supposed to do, God will respond in a sense, as it were, to that by doing what He's promised to do to fix 
the world. Uh, and actually, keep in mind, remember the Kev, the Kev concept. Let's show up again at the end of our portion. Yes, sir. Uh, I was just reminded as you talk about the heel of the original curse under which we sit. Oh, yeah. Where, um, if, I mean, if you want to turn to Genesis chapter 3, uh, you'll see... serpent was more crafty, yada, yada, yada. Because you have done this, cursed are you, verse 14, above all livestock, and above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He, the offspring of the woman, shall bruise your head, that sounds fatal, and you shall bruise his heel. A little less fatal. A little less fatal. Um, but we need to remember that what was started, uh, we read in the apostolic scriptures, the whole earth still today groans under that same curse. As uh, we've, we've heard before, we started in the garden and we're heading back to the garden. Mm -hmm. The garden and that tree is guarded right now that we might not eat from that tree of life while we're in this state, mm -hmm. while we're in sin, and eternally be that way. But that's the end result, that he will come back, and he'll crush them under his heel. And then he will rule with a rod of iron, and he will put his enemies under, under his, his feet. feet. Yeah, there you go. Cool. Very nice. I see you, and of course. Oh, my goodness. And it's, before... It's a preach, right? Exactly. Ah. <laughs> you were saying that it, I was remembering Messiah himself crushing the head of the serpent when he was praying right and he, he was praying that this would pass and he and he crushes the head of the serpent at that point he's already defeated that's right. Right. he's already that's right. defeated Hasatan we and just have to believe that he is who he says he is right that he is faithful and true. In the, in the verse that, um, but he's already defeated. Really. He's won the victory, but at the same time, it, you're right, he has won the victory. And at the same time, it's also, that, like, it's like it's kind of like just what I'm looking for. Have you ever, uh, I own a house. My house, I love my house, it's a great house. I also own a mortgage on my house, mm -hmm. which means that even though I own my house, I don't really own my house. I bought my house, but I'm in the process exactly. of realizing what that means. And that's basically what we've got here. Yeah. Yeshua has won the victory. It's already over in, in reality. Mm -hmm. But the practicality of it is still working its way out. And I think that's what we're getting at here with this verse. Because that's one of the things that um, when in Hebrews, when he compares mm -hmm. Yeshua to the priesthood, he says the priests are still out there working all the time. They're busy. They're on their feet. But what has God said to Messiah? He says, sit here until I make your enemies your footstool. Paul in Romans says the last enemy, the final end, is death. So eventually the plan is, you're right, Gloria, he has won the victory, and at the same time he's working it out in the real world, in process, with the goal being to eventually crush all of his enemies I mean, once and for all, I mean, and we will experience that in reality I together. I hear you, and what I'm remembering is what we just read, I think it was in, what was the last scripture that we read in Hebrews? Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11? It was the last verse. 
experience what they had laid up. He said because of our obedience. It's something about our obedience. Because of their obedience. I'm sorry. I wish I had it right. It's the same deal. You're right. 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 As we obey him, he is supreme. He is still working. He is still conquering in this present day. And and even though we suffer, and we do. We do. You know, and Hasatan is still working. He still attacks us. He still does all this stuff. He still is supreme, and he still has the last word. And it's like, as we trust that, and we all go through our adversities, you know, the Holocaust, there's still, what is it, Corey Tim Boone and Betty, was Betsy, her sister, died Mm. just before they were delivered. Mm -hmm. You know, so those things still happen. But he is still supreme, and he yes. is still conquering. It's true. Oh, I get excited thinking about it. And he's yeah, and he's won the battle. And in the meantime, we are working with him exactly uh, to to bring that to bring that into reality. Because he, he the verse that they use, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. And then in um, in Ephesians, he says something similar. We are his workmanship, created um, in Messiah for good works that we should walk in them. In other words, it's like it's already been mapped out. We're just in the process of living it out. If you think about God almost as like a movie director, mm-hmm. the script's already been written. We already know how the true. story ends. Very true. But we're the actors, and we have to play out the scene. That's right. And that's kind of what we've got going on right here. So in this process, what the, what the sages are saying is that just because God has promised that he's going to win doesn't mean that we have no responsibility. Doesn't mean that you get to sit back and watch him work. The idea is that God in his infinite sovereignty has chosen to um, link in some way his actions to ours. So even though he's not dependent on us, that would be silly, our good deeds are a expression of his his work in our lives, obviously. So we don't see ourselves as dictating to God, it's the other way around. But that doesn't mean that from our perspective, as little puny humans who can't see the whole picture, that we are not responsible, and we are. So we have to, our own selves, be obedient. And as we do that, we will begin to see God's victory played out in this world. Exactly. So that at the end, and what the sages are getting at in the Midrash, is that when, when we finally reach that point, we finally get to where we're going, in our lives, God will culminate that process by being victorious over all of his enemies, including Hasatan and ultimately death itself, so that we will have a complete victory that will be realized together. Yes, sir? I mean, I think that part of the... The sages aren't just pulling this out of the fact that the word... the, the portion starts with the word again, but the portion itself has the cause and effect mm-hmm. <clears throat> mapped out within it. And the effect that is the result that's being described is pretty profound. I mean, it's something that we have never seen in this life. And certainly something that those of us that love Israel long for and hope for. It's like, you know, when you read the Psalms and it constantly says, until when, you know, O Lord, until when? How long? It's like the it's like the those that are under the altar where they're saying, How long will you continue to allow evil to prevail against the people that you said are yours? Right. So when you read in in this portion where it talks about, 
you know, I'm going to heal all your diseases. Your enemies are going to lick the dust off your sandal. In my mind, I, I immediately see a, a certain a certain man that is currently resident of the White Mosque licking the feet of Benjamin Netanyahu and saying, how long until I get to see that? That's what I want to see. The White Mosque. That's what I want to see. And the answer is that it's not the responsibility of Netanyahu. Right. As a man, it's the responsibility of everybody that loves God to obey him, not only in the big commandments, but the little ones as right. well. Right, and that's actually one and of it's, the... So the, cult, the, whole, the whole weight of this is not the whole world trying to get it right, man. Everybody needs to repent. What happens is it's not the whole world that needs to repent for us to see that scene played out, and it may not be him. That's fine. It can be somebody later, but I want to see it happen. Well, and it, it's funny. But it's you... going to be us that actually know the truth. Right. It's our repentance hmm. that right. is the cause in order to see the effect. You know? Right, and and you mentioned the heal thing. It's funny because the the other commentary in your in your Humash mentions that the heal word is tying into the the, the small commandments. It's those little tiny ones at the end that you have to be you know particularly meticulous about. And I, I should mention the dust also reminds us, us of the licking the dust off the sandals. We ought to immediately say there's only one thing in the world that eats dust. It's the it's the, the serpent. Snake, yeah. Oh. Yeah, and um, and in, in terms of God um, doing a final act of victory as tied into repentance, uh, this is not a Jewish concept alone. Uh, well, it is a Jewish concept alone, but it's it's not it's not limited to those who came in the midrash time period or later. Um, Paul, in the book of Romans, I believe it's Romans, yeah, he does the same thing when he says, um, he's talking about the people of Israel, and he says, if their disobedience yeah. results in salvation for the Gentiles, how because how much more will their obedience be but resurrection from the dead? In other words, when Israel repents, God will culminate his victory. That's what we are saying earlier. What's the last enemy to put under his feet, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians? It's death. So how do you overcome death? The resurrection of the dead. So what's going to bring that about? It's going to be the repentance of Israel and the people of God as a group that are going to be obedient. If you read through Deuteronomy in this passage, you will read about a reality that never happened. You're talking about, he says, you will not get sick. You're not going to have issues with... Fertility. You're not going to have issues with having problems growing crops. Your your animals are going to be healthy. All of these things, and you're looking at it going, when did that happen? In fact, more likely, you're probably reading the news, like we were talking about this morning, um, or you're watching the news. I, I am. I love listening to Marianne, and I have. I understand her heart. She talks oftentimes about how like she sees all these things, and she just feels burdened because the world is messed up. It's got problems, and. Um, and I think that I think God feels the same way. But the cool part is that God's going to fix that, and that's what this 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 portion, a lot of this portion, is about. If you read the beginning of this, all these amazing, almost supernatural things are happening. How does it happen? It happens because God is personally fixing the universe, but He does it with our like working with Him. It's it's a it's a blessing to get a chance to partner with God in fixing the world. And so part of that is our righteousness. When we repent as the people of God, as you were saying, it's not the whole world uh, keeping Shabbat. It's God's people keeping Shabbat. It's not the whole world loving their neighbor specifically. It's God's people loving their neighbor. When they do what they're supposed to do, God will, God will uh, in a sense, he's invited to work with him. So when they do their role, so to speak, God is going to uh, do it his as well. So 
again, it's, it's a hard thing for us as humans to understand because we're not saying that God is somehow um, uh, dependent on us. That would be silly. But it's more the idea that God has chosen in his, his picture to say, I'll work with you. It's kind of like, I think, another example that I think of is, you've ever had um, a parent who uh, you have a task to do. Maybe it's saving up for, for something special. Maybe it's building a model or, or putting something together. And the last step is really only capable of being done by them. You know, the last step, we're going we're gonna to coat the whole thing in super glue. And I'm definitely not trusting my five-year-old to do that, you know. <laughs> But you can put all the pieces together along the way. And so the dad, because he wants the child to be involved, he wants the child to learn and grow, he allows him to participate as much as possible. You know, I'm, I'm sure Morgan and Juliana, now that she's um, babysitting her nieces, know this experience with cooking. You know, you have, you have the girls get up there, you have them, you know, put things together, put things in the bowl or whatever it may be that they can do. You're not going to let them put the item in the oven or turn the oven on. That, was, that might be a mistake. Cut the right, cut the zucchini. But you're going to let them assist, and that's essentially what God's doing here. He is ex- He is allowing us to participate. But the final step, that you know, cherry on top, that that putting it all together, that's going to be God's work. But because of His infinite wisdom, that's beyond our understanding. He's intentionally waiting, almost, if we can say that, for us to do our part, and then He will finish the process. So I I, I hope that this passage gets you. Um, Man, I hope it puts like a burden on you. It puts a fire in your heart to say the world is the world is messed up. And you know what? The only way it's going to get fixed is when people like you start doing something about it. And not that doesn't mean going standing out with big signs that say God, you know, God hates homosexuality. You can do that too, which is true. That is true, and we, we believe in that. But at the same time, you um, it's not a matter of just simply being vocal. It's a matter about doing things in your private world. It's those heal commands, those little tiny mitzvot at the bottom of the list. You got to be doing those too. More, even more so than being vocal, it's about changing your life. I've got Johnny, then my dad. Well, in this present world, that's a good segue for, for what I was going to think, is that in this present world, the, the ultimate sim- symbolism of, of death, I think, is that spirit of Amalek that, mm. that is, we are at war with in every generation, as has been foretold in Exodus. And to that point, um, specifically about our responsibilities as believers uh, of the one true God, and lovers of life in general, and uh, this having this mindset, um, prophetic back when Isaac was blessing Jacob and Esau, the there's a really cool passage where it's you know where he says, well, it's uh, you know, the whole usurper type thing where Jacob apparently deceived you know his father into thinking he was Esau and put on the hairy goat hands and stuff like that. Um, He's like, well, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Well, more so the narrative, this is prophetic, mm. in that um, if you take away, the, if you look at the Hebrew, and you, it's kind of, you know, there's some, some vowels, there's uh, actually some letters missing from the repetition of the word voice. So there's a really neat Midrashic interpretation of this passage to where you can say instead of, uh, Hakol Kol Yaakov. It's if you if you in the voice of the voice of Jacob with this repeated word. If you look at it in terms of Hakel Kol Yaakov, and you know, and finish the verse. When weak is the voice of Jacob, then the interpretation is when 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 weak is the voice of Jacob. That is when we're not praying, when we're not doing what we're supposed to do, when when our service to Hashem is not where it needs to be. 
then the hands of Esau are at their full strength. Mm -hmm. That's that's where the, that's that's where the spiritual right. battle that we are fighting, and and when we when we are losing this actually, when we are losing the spiritual battle because we're not praying, because we're not performing this book, because we're not um, you know involved in in um, you know service to Hashem, true service to Hashem. And this, you know, when it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, you know, that part right there, that is the service, that is your prayer. That's specifically how that is seen. So, um, so prayer specifically, that spiritual aspect, when we fail in that, then that's when all the physical manifestation of Esau comes to be. Comes to be. Mm -hmm. So that's when the, the hands of Esau, as it were, were at its full strength. That's when we see bombings by ISIS. That's when we see beheadings. Mm -hmm. And that's when we see these things manifest themselves physically. Why do you think that they won't allow anyone to pray on the Temple Mount? They know and understand the power of prayer. Mm -hmm. Okay? So that's why they don't allow mm -hmm. it. Um, so any no religious books are allowed on the uh, you know up there when in in the land you know even you know there are intimidating fellows up there who will stop you if you look like you're trying to mouth a silent prayer and stuff like that and and it's because they understand and recognize the pure, the, the power of prayer hmm. and and that is you know that is part of our service that's part of our responsibility um, and so it just kind of Ties in directly with what yeah. you're talking Intimidating about. Intimidating fellows with guns. Right. Absolutely. Well, I think it's funny that this, you mentioned Jacob, and I think it's humorous that this passage that's dovetailing this, yes. your role, is Ikeb. It's, it's about the heel. heel. Exactly. Because it, that's the prophecy that God gives to Rebecca. He says, um, he, said, he tells her that one will be over the other. Well, the sages say it's not, God doesn't, he says the younger will serve the, the older. But the way that he God phrases it is almost this kind of like when one is great, the other can't be. It's almost like it's a seesaw. So when when Esau is, is winning, when the powers of evil are winning, the powers of good are down. But it's actually not the power of evil over the power of good. It's when the power of good is diminished. When they diminish themselves, then the power of evil rises. When the power of good, when we are obedient, then evil has to take a back seat. It can't win. It's like we have the power in us from God, but when we are not obedient, when we're not letting that light shine, darkness comes in. But when light shines, darkness has to leave. There's no option. Um, that's the way that it works. I've got a whole bunch of hands to start with. Well, I found it. Okay. Okay, and it was Hebrews 10, 36. It says, yeah. oh, a little bit, 35. Therefore, don't throw away your boldness, which has a great reward. For you need endurance so that, having done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If we do the will of God, which would be obedience, mm -hmm, whatever yeah, he says, we're going to reap the rewards of his promise. Right. His, his protection, he will be a shield to us just like he was with Abraham. Right. He will do those things for us. He will. and I think As long as we line up with his will. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the one of the heel commandments in here is the second paragraph of the Shema, which is teach your diligent your diligence. Mm -hmm. Teach your children diligently. Make sure you do it. And it's very difficult when you start talking about this passage, because this passage has profound prophetic prophetic promises in it that also portend to end of world thinking. 
And mm -hmm. it's easy to get discouraged end of world thinking where the only relief we have is why doesn't he just come back and fix it all? Mm -hmm. And yet in the midst of it, there's this commandment that, that Morgan and Greg and Scott and Suzanne are in the midst of accomplishing teaching your children mm -hmm. in spite of the fact that time may be short. So why? And I mean, obviously God has inspired us to be obedient regardless, but it's because they have hope that God keeps his promises, mm -hmm. not to be discouraged by the things that are going on in the world, mm -hmm. but the, re the response is God keeps his promises. So mm -hmm. if I teach my children, then I can count on him that bearing fruit, whether it's in this age of the world to come or in the messianic age, regardless, God will do his part. So the first, the cause is I teach my children and the effect is they experience the benefits of the messianic age, whether it's now or later. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the promise in Proverbs is if you teach your children that when they are old, they will not depart from it. Notice in that promise, it doesn't say raise up your children the way they should go and they will never disobey you. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? But that's not the way that it says. It says when they are old, they will not depart from it. Because really, I think the goal, um, and we've uh, talked about the, the things we would like want to do, raising children, whatever else, and we look at people like the Martins because we see that like they had a goal in mind. It's like they have their, they, they um, you guys raise your kids very well, but you raise your kids to be successful in life, mm -hmm. not just to have a quote-unquote good childhood. And a lot of Americans get caught up in this idea that, well, I want my kids to have fun, I want my kids to enjoy their lives, and whatever else. And it's like, well, I can't punish them, and I don't want to push them too hard. I want them to go play, I want them to have fun. And as a result, they turn 18, they go to college, and they still play and they have fun. They have no idea what they want to do with their lives. If they graduate college, they still want to play and have fun. They have no idea what they want to do with their lives. They finally get a job because everybody has to, and they hate their jobs. And they work them just to get money so they can go home and play and have fun because they don't want to do anything else. But they don't have any time to play and have fun. But they don't have time anymore, and they don't have the ability to, and now their lives are miserable. So they had a really fun first 18 years, but the next 60 years are a waste of time. But the reality is that's not the way it should work. The way it should work, it should be the inversion, where the first little bit, sometimes it's hard. I mean, you, you guys know you're in the midst of little tiny ones, and it's like, there are those lessons you've got to teach them at the foundation that are quick, tough. Quick. And those little kids, sometimes they really don't want to do them, and they don't understand why. But the goal is that when they become, when they get to that older age, when they get to become mature, when they hit age of being an adult, that then they will actually be able to appreciate life the way that it's supposed to be. It's not all about having fun, or rather, it's about how you define fun. It's about realizing that everything is good. It's about maximizing the time that you have. So that's like a good parent is thinking long term. They'll teach their children. And they'll teach their children. And that, I think, is what Proverbs is saying. And that's, of course, what, what the goal of, of teaching your kids is, is to help them achieve that at the end or in the, the bigger process of life, not just in the beginning. When I was a little kid, my mom and dad made me eat everything on my plate. And there were times that I absolutely hated that. And I don't enjoy that now. He likes peas, though. Yeah, I like peace. Yes. Now, when I go book a vacation, I spend time going to Bon Appetit's website to find the coolest restaurants, the place we're going, so that I can eat, you know, duck and all sorts of weird foods that I would have never. Yeah, it's safe foods, not not inappropriate things. But it's like I'm ordering the gobo root on the menu because it's like I don't even know what that tastes like. Let's see what that is. 
So the point that I'm trying to get at is what was, what was painful when I was a child has become a passion today. But that only is possible when your parents stick with it. It's not just food. It could be anything. The point is that um, when you do raise your kids well, and I'm looking in a room full of people whose parents raise them well, that you end up with... My parents have been 18. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> right? Um, the, the, the end result is that you end up being able to enjoy life more. And it's not just in the small things, but of course, obviously, ultimately, in godliness. But, but, um, we, but most people would think that raising your children, although it's a lot of work, is kind of like secondary. It's like you know, mm. Having kids, that's the important one. Mm-hmm. And not necessarily the teaching of them. I'm, talking, I'm not talking about this room. But, and that's what I'm saying. It's a small commandment. Actually, it takes a lot of work, but it is a pretty small commandment. You know, It's not repeated in Scripture over and over and over again. You know, It's like we got two paragraphs we repeat every day, but other than that, mm-hmm. it's not like repeated throughout Scripture. So it's a small commandment. And on top of that, more importantly, it, it's a commandment given to fathers, which is a big deal. I think we have a lot of, especially in the the, the so um, the nominal Christian church, a lot of great godly women, great moms, but unfortunately a lot of dads are absent in their mm-hmm. family spiritual lives. And one of the blessings that I mean, having been raised by a dad who took um, teaching his children seriously, being married to a woman whose father took teaching his children seriously, and, and seeing others mm-hmm. in this room who are doing that, um, it's life changing. I mean, when we when you read throughout the the Torah portions, you can you can almost tell which guy had more influence from his dad just in the way he grows up. Even if maybe he's not the best of persons, he tends to be pretty successful when his dad is an important part of his life. It's a big deal, and, and it's a big deal today. Speaking of fathers, go ahead. Um, Esau, Asav, is, is the enemy. And, Ooh. and the sages um, align Asav with Rome, mm-hmm. and we're in the Roman exile. Yes, and one of the uh, one of the things that we've learned from Rome is how to kill men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and well. in the Colosseum, mm-hmm. we see the victor in the gladiator fights puts his heel uh-huh. yeah. on the neck of his victim, the loser, and looks for the thumbs up or thumbs down. But that heel on the neck leads me to remember the scripture, that the heel is important. And we, we just need to be mindful that as victors, the heel is still involved. As you pointed out, the heel, those little tiny things at the end, Right. Right. are important right. and we should step up and find ourselves finding ourselves faithful yeah, in the small when commitments. our master returns absolutely and one of the small commitments we're going to shift gears to the time bit here one of the small commitments is in this portion which has to do with thanking God after you eat which we did today thank you um, and it's a small one because you might I'll be honest with you there every now and again I forget it's hard to remember sometimes you have a big meal, you get busy, you got to clean up the room, you got to go on to the next thing. And abbreviated it's okay, come on. You yeah, can yeah you can abbreviate it, but the point is you got to thank God for the food because that's what he said to do. And chapter 8, if you're familiar at all, we've probably had this conversation before, if you're familiar with Hebrew poetry, a lot of Hebrew poetry is chiastic, which is a really big word that basically means it repeats. So it's sort of like if you, um, it's, uh, it's kind of like if you look at the word Anna, the word Anna is the same at the beginning and same at the end. It just repeats A-N and then N-A. So it's like if you have A-B-C and then 
CBA, you've got the pattern. You follow me? So you've got the, the bookends are the same, and the pieces in the middle are the same, and the pieces in the middle are the same. They're, they're paired up, yeah, symmetric. Um, well, chapter it's 8 of Deuteronomy, every now and again, we, I have to say, I get tired at times with the way that, that our um, Latin friends have chosen to break up scripture. But every now and again, they nailed it. They actually managed to get a chapter break at the right place, at the right time, and it ends the way that it should. Chapter 8 is one of those, one of those pretty cool examples. So if you look at the very beginning of chapter 8, it starts off by talking with the people of Israel about the wilderness. Um, we've been talking up until this point about going into the land of Israel and having victory over the land, having all these amazing miracles happen if you're going to be obedient. And then Moses says, you should live and increase this and come and possess the land that Adonai swore to your forefathers. And then he says, you shall remember. What does he tell them to remember? Remember what God did in the wilderness, how God carried you, how God helped you. Your garments didn't wear out. God gave you food to eat, that you may know that not by bread alone does man live, but rather by everything that emanates from the mouth of God. In other words, who took care of you? God took care of you. This is the story that we're getting from the beginning of chapter 8. Well, as you keep reading, he then begins to talk about where you're going. You're going into the land of Israel, and all these great, wonderful things are going to happen. It's going to be really cool. But then he stops, and in the middle, this is like kind of like one of those, um, that parallel. So part one was the wilderness. That is A in our, in our chiastic poetry. Part two is the land of Israel. That's B in our chiastic poetry. So we're going to get to part B, two, which is don't forget when you increase your silver and gold, when you get the food and all this stuff. So in other words, when you go into the land, okay, part B was I'm going to give you all this cool stuff in the land. The next part B that matches up with that is when you go into the land, don't forget about who gave it to you. What, where did that come from? And then, part A again, in our little poetry line, is the very end of chapter 8. He says, talking about God, who feeds you manna in the wilderness, which your forefathers knew not, in order to afflict you, in order to test you, to do good for you in your end. In other words, you've got the bookends, the wilderness on each side, and in the middle, they talk about Israel on both sides. What's cool about this, and why this is important, not just because we're having fun playing games, matching up scripture, is the lesson it's trying to convey. Because part A and part B are telling you the same thing. Part A says, don't, for, don't remember, don't, in a way, don't forget what God did when you were in the wilderness. Part B says, don't forget God when you're not in the wilderness. In other words, mm. the same God that provided for you in the wilderness when you had nothing and there was no way on this earth that you should have been okay. God gave you open miracles. Your clothes didn't wear out. The rocks spit forth water for you to drink. Manna fell from the sky. You know, these miracles that happen. Then when you move into the land of Israel and everything is great and you're, you're sowing seed and you're getting food and you're, uh, and, you're, and you're hewing cisterns and you're getting water, don't think that just because you are participating now and that the, you're in a place that's easy, that it's you're the one doing it. He's saying in the same way that you had miracles in the wilderness, your normal life is a miracle Amen. too. So as you're in the land of Israel, don't forget, remember what God did for you in the wilderness. Because when you're in the land, that's also the same God doing the same provision. It's just in a different way. And the sages key in on this a lot. They talk about the importance of recognizing that everything that you have comes from God. When you start reading a lot of Jewish works talking about work, um, uh, Jewish authors talking about work, they oftentimes get into this idea that you, it's not yours. 
You don't earn the money. You don't bring in the food. You don't plant. I mean, they have an amazing garden. You've been out there, get a chance to walk around. They've got so many fruits and vegetables. I've never seen that much anywhere without, you know, cows moving around the outside. I know they want to get cows eventually. They don't have that yet. The point is that um, they know, though, that, that they only they participate. They don't make it happen. We have a, an adorable little garden back behind our house. We did the exact same thing we did last year. We do not have the same produce we had last year. It's because it's ultimately up to God. God's the one who makes it grow. God's the one that makes it successful. No matter how much effort I put in or don't put in, as the case may be. So Judaism, in talking about work, they say it's the same thing. For those of us who don't work in a garden every day, it's still the same thing. God gives you that success. And that's what chapter 8 is talking about and why it specifically says that you shall bless God after you eat. In other words, when you eat that food, this little heel command, this small commandment, when you eat that food, God is the one who provided for you. So you should recognize that it came from him. You should thank him for the, for the food, but also thank him for the land. In other words, thank him for the opportunity. Thank you for him for the place that you're in where you can have this. To recognize that the entire set of circumstances that has culminated in you eating this amazing meal that was cooked by your incredible wife is only because God let it happen. You would not be here if it was not for God. So the whole process is a miracle just as much as going to the wilderness is a miracle. So that's why it says at the end, don't think to yourself, my strength, my might, I accomplished all this because you didn't. It's only because of what God did in your life. Yes, Marianne. Okay, I honestly don't mean to be flip or flip or whatever, but does it say how long after you eat? Because nope. <laughs> I feel... I think the idea that we want to... Oh. I was just going to say, in this book, what we've read already, just since the beginning, chapter 4 and verse 9, take care lest you forget the mm. things that you've seen. Mm -hmm. Verse 23 of chapter 4, take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord. Verse 31 of chapter 4, take care not to forget the covenant of your fathers. Okay, I get that. Or forget the Lord. So it's a progression. Forget what you saw. You forget the covenant. You forget what you did with your fathers. And ultimately, you forget the Lord. Right. Chapter 6. Take care lest you forget the Lord. Because he brought you out. Yeah. He brought us out mm. of sin and the bondage to sin. So take care. 8.11. Take care lest you forget the Lord by not keeping his commandments. 8.14, prideful, your heart is lifted up, you forget the Lord your God who brought you out. 8.19, if you forget the Lord your God, go after other gods, and you just completely forgot. Chapter 9, verse 7, remember and don't forget, and you messed up, and you provoked him. The whole idea is, over and over again, he's reminding us of what our nature is. Yeah. 
You forget. <laughs> Oops, I forgot. That's our nature. Yeah. So what we need to do is help each other mm -hmm. to not forget. And that's why the food thing is in there, I think, part of it is when we're thankful. And I think you should always have a thankful heart. That's the goal. But at the same time, it's also to have that extra reminder during the day. And, and so if you do miss, that doesn't mean that you say, oh, man, well, that's it. I guess I'll try again tomorrow because I'm never going to remember this. No, remember the next meal. Don't, don't, don't be depressed and de despair. Right. But the idea being that um, is that can you forget? Yeah, you can. And that's the sad part. There is a point where you go too long and you forgot. I do it. I know. I understand. I, I mean, goodness, my, my poor wife sometimes we're talking and she goes, you do realize that I'm the one who told you that. It's like, oh, oh, I totally forgot about that. So, I mean, I get it. My mind is, I'm, you, know, you just, you have too many things going on. You forget stuff. But we got to work on this particular commandment, whether it's putting timers on your phone, whether it's tying a little string on your finger, whether it's having your spouse or a friend or whatever remind you daily, putting the book right there next, uh, next to your plate at the table, whatever it takes to try to remember to do this because the reason why we're doing it, we have to remember, it's not just to fulfill this little checkbox that we got to do. It's remembering where it came from. Why, why am I eating food? Why do I feel satisfied? Why, do I ha why did I have a good experience just now? It's because God blessed me. Joshua, I just have a great idea. Okay. You could like make bowls and you put with a kill at the bottom of the bowl. That's where it's going. <laughs> there we go. Don't forget. Cool. Don't forget. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a there great idea. Work. Thank you. It's <laughs> a new enterprise for you. We'll have to talk about that after Shabbat's over. We have a little bowl that Morgan used, my eldest daughter, that says, yum, yum, time is over. Yeah. At the bottom. You know, the, the key is, um, my, my wife has been trying to remind us as a family that when we sit down to the table to partake of what God has provided, according to the word of God, it's a time of worship. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not like the pagans, where all we're here to do is to satisfy our bodily desires. But we stop. That was the practice of his people and of our master. Before we eat, we stop and go, you know what, I'm hungry. And that's what God designed. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I'm recognizing and acknowledging. This came from his right. open and wide hand. Right. But you know, that's, that's easy to do when we remember that our food and our, our time at the table is a worship experience. Hmm. It's at the end. That, do you it, think there's a problem with some of us having come, you know, from church and Absolutely. Think of it at the beginning, maybe. Well, that's You're the problem. Stuck in your, we grabbed that habit. That's a good habit. We grabbed that habit of, like of thanking him at the beginning, which is a Judaic custom, yeah. not a Christian custom. Right. The problem is we've not only taken just that and not the back end, which was the command itself, which isn't even mentioned because it's a command. It's so obvious. It Yeshua, of course, would have done that. Of course our master did that. Right. What was special well, is he prayed beforehand. That right. was a, what we yeah. what we not only missed is not just that he did it at the beginning. We've torqued it to start to bless the food rather than blessing the maker. <laughs> right. right. But I think that the commandment itself and the reason why he says in chapter eight, remember, don't forget. Yeah. Is 
That's natural. Yeah. If it were natural for us to remember, he wouldn't have told us. Right. It's unnatural for you to finish a meal, tap your belly, and go, man, oh, man, what what do I want to do now but thank my God right. for my full belly? Well, if you think about it, it's, it's kind of like, you know, um, we, we see this with, with children, too. You know, little kid opens their present on a birthday or whatever else, and they're all excited. They want to go run off and play. Wait, wait, wait. Give Grandpa a hug. Yes. Say Why thank you. you. I right. <laughs> I know. But it's part of the process because we want to forget. We want to take things for granted. We don't think about them. And, and I think it goes beyond food. I mean, the whole point of this chapter is trying to get at that you need to remember where your life came from. Don't look at it because that's his, his argument is you're going to get arrogant. When things go badly, you can blame God. But when things go well, you can forget God. Both are bad. But both happen, and I think the problem is that sometimes when we when we we see we see we go through a challenge. If you've been through, if you've had challenges in life, you look at it and you think, "Well, I'm so glad I'm past X, and I'm really thankful to God for where I'm at." And you forget, as time goes on, God during that, because the, sometimes the bigger danger is not the the bad things happen that you get mad at God. It's that as the good things happen, you get you get placid. You don't think about God. There's no reason to ask God for help. Everything's great. And the point that uh, he's trying to get at in this chapter <coughs> and throughout this portion, when things are good, don't be patting yourself on the back saying, I did all this. I'm pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Remember God. And I think that's chapter 9 as we get into the next section. Um, it's funny because uh, Rebbe Nachman in his teachings, yeah, he's, he's all about trying to boost kind of, uh, a lot of your self-image because he's, he argues that if you're depressed, you won't serve God. You'll be so despairing and so like, I'm such a loser that you won't feel the desire to do what you need to do. But he warns people in saying that when your things are going well and you're doing pretty good, you're pretty, righteous deeds, things are going great, that's the time when you go, yeah, but I'm, I'm a worm. You know, God created me. My sins are, my righteousness is as filthy rags. You know, that's when you remind yourself who you really are and the things you do wrong because you want to you temper that, that pride. Paul says, be careful uh, lest you fall. In other words, be careful. Like when things are going well, don't then think about yourself like everything's going great. It's like, whoa, this is a time that you might want to watch it because just when things are going good, that's when you could get careless. So on this, in chapter nine, that's exactly what what Moses does. Moses brings the hammer. He tells them, don't think to yourself that I'm going to have this all this blessing on me because I'm such an awesome person. I mean, because I am, you know. But instead, he says, no, 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 you, you've messed up a lot. You've done this wrong, you did this wrong, you did this wrong. How many cities and places do I have to even name? We won't even go into the stories. It was so bad, all I had to do was say the place. And you're like, oh, yeah, it was, <laughs> I forgot about that one. You know, it was bad. And the point he's trying to get at is God is the one who's blessing you. God's the one who's, who's giving you reward in spite of your misdeeds. Don't get full of yourself. That's what Yeshua does. He's like, you got two guys praying. And one guy says, God, thank you so much for making me so awesome. Not like that guy. And the other, and the other guy's praying, God, I, you're my only hope. Uh, you're just so merciful to me, and I, I got nothing. And, and what does Yeshua say? He says that the latter man, beating his chest, he's the one that God answers. He's the one who is blessed as he leaves. The other guy, he's, he's got his own little personal God that's himself, but he's not connecting with the real one. And that's the danger. That's why pride is dangerous. So that's why chapter 9 starts off. Moses says, no, 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 no. Just because things are about to go really well and you're going to have all the success, don't be thinking it's because of how great you are. Remember that that's a blessing from God. And don't forget, don't forget 
again, don't forget, remember the things that you did wrong. Remember what you've done to get you here that wasn't so good. And how God was merciful to you in the midst of that. Did you see your hand? Okay. So, uh, oh, huge. Massive. In fact, we're talking about remembrance and thankfulness together. If you go back to Romans chapter 1, uh, you see the slippery slope. If you've ever, if you've ever had, had a pastor te- uh, preach on Romans 1, you've probably heard this. Starts with A, and it leads to B, and it leads to C, and then D, and then before you know it, these sinners, they just, they started up here, and they understood who God was, and the next thing you know, they're like, they are at the very bottom, they're coming up with new sins, they're so bad. Like, that's basically what happens, and actually, do you know what it starts with? It starts with, they were not thankful, and they forgot their creator. So what are the two most important ones we start with here in Deuteronomy? He says, don't forget, and be thankful. So you can, that's where the danger is. As soon as you start to think that your life was, was because of your effort, that's when you start running the risk that you can start thinking, I can make up my own rules. I can determine what's good and what's bad. And as soon as you start to put yourself in the role of God, that's when life comes completely apart. And we see this over and over again. I mean, this, think about the, the celebrities you see on the news. It's like, how did they get to the point where they thought that like getting strung up in drugs and shaving off their head and leaving their kids in the car you know, in 100 degree heat was a good idea? It, well, you get full of yourself. You think that I can do no wrong and I have to be at the center of attention. And pretty soon you're thinking this feels great at the center of attention, but you look like an idiot. I'm just saying that, not so specific people. The point being is that's, that's human nature. We do that. And so God's trying to say, nip it in the bud, start at the beginning. Don't forget God. Don't forget to be thankful because it's that is going to start that process where you lose sight of reality. Yes, sir. The, the thanking God after we eat, of course, is something that we are commanded to do. There's another thing that you can do that's tradition that actually helps in that entire thing, and that is starting the way you start your day. Modi Aniv, the Feneca, is a, is, a, is a prayer that you're supposed to pray not just before your feet touch the ground. It's before you're even awake. I mean, you're not fully awake, and the first thoughts that you have is, thank you, eternal and living king, that you've returned my soul to me mm. in compassion. Great and, is your faithfulness. And great is your faithfulness. And when we, when we start thinking, we start our day thinking those thoughts, it's not, just, it's, it's not just a response to him. I mean, we weren't commanded to do that, but it's not just a response to him to be thankful. It actually affects the way that I think. I mean, mm. it affects, mm. it's, when I start my day that way, I, it's... It's pretty much in humility, you know. It's like, wow. I mean, mm-hmm. it was. I was unconscious for a while. It's yeah. not all about me. And I was unconscious for a while, and many things could have happened while I was unconscious. And here I am. I'm still breathing. This is pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's true. You think it for granted. Could have ended while I was out of it. You know, you, re- you pick up the news and you found out what happened in the night. Think it. You were asleep when that stuff was happening. Right, yeah. Well, and you think about it too. Um, the uh, if you read if you read in. Um, in, in a lot of Jewish teachings, I love reading the, the book, The Six Constant Mitzvot, and one of the, the mitzvah is that Hashem is one. You think to yourself, okay, what does that even mean? How does that affect my life? And the point that he's trying to get at in, in that teaching is that Hashem rules everything. Everything is in God's control. So he has this really cool mid, uh, story, and I'm sure I probably mentioned this before, um, where this rabbi and his daughter are getting ready for Shabbat, and all of a sudden she realizes, oh, Papa, we don't have any oil. We can't light the, the lights for Shabbat. And he looks at her and she says, no problem. The same God that made oil burn can make vinegar burn. Just like that. She does and it works. And the point is trying to say that the reason why it worked is because the rabbi understood that what's normal isn't normal. 
everything it happens because God chooses for it to happen. So if God is one, that means that God is everything. God does nothing happens in this universe without God's permission, so to speak. So it's like the fact that gravity works is only because God wants gravity to work. Because it doesn't really work. Because it doesn't really work. In fact, usually if you, it's scientists who start trying to study like the true nature of the universe, the more they get down to it, they start scratching their heads going, it doesn't work. this doesn't work. How does this still work? In fact, when you start reading about like, well, you know, if, if the earth was two centimeters to the left, we would all freeze to death. And if it was two centimeters to the right, we would all burn up. It's like basically everything is precisely exactly the way that it should be because if it was anything different, it wouldn't work. So the point trying to get at is that it's all God. God's doing all of it. So when we, when we think about that, we want to try to keep that mentality throughout our day. When you wake up in the morning, it's not because you woke up. The fact of the matter is you're breathing only because God continues to maintain that. Exactly. At any moment, you could stop. It's not because, like, you know, you think about, I woke up from sleep. It's like, whew, that was close. That was dangerous. I was asleep. <laughs> it was. <laughs> it was. It was very dangerous. But at the same time, right now, it's just as dangerous. Yeah. Because my heart's beating only because God tells it to. So you should say it whenever you think of it. Right. But waking up is a good place to start because it's a, that's a good reminder at the beginning of your day that you only woke up because cause you think I'm a granted. Of course I, I woke up. I, I say, wake up. I say it in Hebrew because that's usually when I'm asleep. And then I repeat it in English on my way. Right. There we go. That works. Yes, sir. I think the whole portion brings us back to what the essence of being truly Jewish is all about. You know, if you think that the word Jew comes from Yehudi, it, it comes from oh, right. Hodu, you know, that the same Thankfulness. Hodu, thankfulness. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and that is the essence, mm -hmm. you know, literally down to the etymology of the word, <laughs> right. you know, of what it means to be Jewish. Yeah. And so um, there, you know, as it says in Fiddler on the Roof, there's a blessing for everything. And so it's, it's the understanding that, you know, there is no good, there is no bad, but it's all from Hashem. And I'm going to thank him for it no right. matter what. As Job said, um, shall we thank God only when good things happen? Yeah, but also, yeah, well, I praise Although him. it's easier to thank him for chocolate. This is true. <laughs> no, no, that's not to say that when bad things happen, we don't feel that, that tug, that struggle to be thankful. Obviously we do. The point that we're getting at is that just because we recognize that, because we've been there, when we're in the good times, we have to remember that it's also a danger zone, so to speak, when we don't dangerous. feel that desire to be thankful. Yeah, you take it for granted. Yes, sir. Yeah, because thankfulness is really just like basically acknowledgement of existence. Because the, like you know, Judaism is all about relationship, and that is what sets it apart from everything else. Because you're constantly being reminded of the reality of Hashem instead of forgetting that He's there. Like you never forget that your wife, that you're married to your wife, right? You're always going to know that she's around because you see her all the time. Right. But it's it's so much harder with our relationship with Hashem, and it's cool because the beginning of the Shulchan Aruch talking, the first thing it starts with is when you first wake up in the morning. And that whole passage relates Hashem only on like the level of the king. Like it, it constantly uses that analogy. Like right. clearly, if you had an appointment with the king this morning, you wouldn't be sleeping. That's right. right. You'd be bouncing out of bed, yep. getting dressed as quickly as possible, and getting ready to go see him. Right. And so that's the point about getting ready to get right out of bed and then go to pray to meet the king. And mm -hmm. I, it, it changed my whole perspective on some of those things where you you kind of. Because blessing God after you eat, before you eat, is another one of those things where it's kind of like, if it just becomes routine, you sort of forget why you do it. And then when you do forget you do it, you don't think of it as such a big deal. But then when you think about, like, not thanking a king after he invited you to his banquet that That's night, amazing. Like, yeah. That would be absolutely 
preposterous. Why would you ever? You could never forget because it's such a big deal to you. Right. True. And so it's uh, and that has helped a lot. Just having the same mindset, just trying to think of Hashem as a king in every mm. case. That's good. Helping to remember. And Modeani is addressed to the king. Right. Yeah, the, king. the eternal king. He's going to be in the fields. Right. Next week. There's this Yes, sir. Just to Marianne's point earlier about like if it's okay to wait, the the actual passage that we get the uh, commandment to bless God afterward after eating is when it says when you eat and are satisfied. So yeah, if you want to wait to the end of the day, but you've been satisfied multiple mm -hmm. times by multiple meals. So okay, just eat, get a full stomach, then bless. You know, so that's yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good reminder, and it's sort of worked into the commandment. I could go backwards, like okay, eventually I remember every night, and then maybe I'll remember. Sure, right? No, and, and you work at it, and I think it's a process. Yeah. And I think one of the things that um, that that Greg uh, Greg's done with his kids, I think, is really cute. He'll look at Sophia and see, like, okay, are we satisfied? Our tummy's full. Yes. Okay, what do we do now? Bless God. You know. Yeah, that's a great that's a great Good technique. Job. Trying to get your kids to connect the two because that's what yeah. God's doing. God's saying, Did "You guys come over to my house." <laughs> <laughs> but it, you're right. No, I hear you. I know. I know. I know. I forget too. I mean, this morning I think I forgot it for breakfast. It's the easy thing to do. I so, think it's the end of the world, and I know God knows my heart. I, of course, you know, of course. But it is hard. It's just kind of an example. Right. Like, no. A lot no. of the stuff that we're talking about, the thankfulness, and just and trying to do all the things. Right. right, and you want to start, and I think the thing is, um, there's nothing wrong with starting small and moving, but at the same time, you want to keep the moving. So don't ever let, don't, don't, don't be discouraged when you forget, but at the same time, don't let the fact that you forget uh, become a, uh, like, well, I just can't remember, so yeah, well, because yeah, you want to, you want to be, so yeah, like, like coming up with ideas, coming up with cool little cute little phrases, yeah. coming up with uh, traditions, whatever it might be, to kind of. Yeah, iPhone like apps, right whatever app. it might be. It reminds you. Yeah, the little guy. So, the, uh, in fact, I don't know. Did that Twitter account die? Does it still it exist? Died. Okay. At one point, uh, Greg and Peter got a little Twitter account that would send you little messages around lunch and dinner time. It just would pop up and be like, "Time to bless God." And it's like, "Oh yeah, I forgot about that one." Um, so it's tie it into your bare uh, biometrics off your. Yeah, phone. whatever you end up coming up with, something. Can I say so? I'm not. I'm not all that happy with that. Which seems to me like a, 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 I don't know. I, I think one of my problems is I want to be in my own heart, in my own mind, to, to remind myself or please God, mm. remind mm. me. One of the God. ways to get there is to be reminded. One of the ways to get there is to be reminded. If you're not making any progress, maybe yeah, you need to be well, reminded externally. It's like what Jillian and I have started doing exercises in the morning, and we both admit heartedly that we hate exercising. It's no fun. We don't like it. Then I talk to other people, and they're like, isn't exercise great? It's so much fun. It's like, the most important thing is to keep it fun. I'm like, it's never fun. Who's, who's it fun for? And so the point that I'm getting at is when you start off, it's definitely not fun. Now, maybe for some people who are doing it for a long time, it becomes fun. But not when you start. I think it's the same thing here. I think that the mistake sometimes is we have a goal and we want to get to that goal and we don't we think that somehow if we don't achieve the goal, we're failing. That's not true. Yeah. I think that when you start in a process and you have a goal, it takes time to get there. So whatever you need to do along the way, so whether it's forcing yourself to exercise, maybe it's doing it a little bit less than you would like to do to try to keep yourself from being too exhausted, whatever it is, but you're moving. And the important thing is that you keep moving. 
that's really what we see throughout. Um, in fact, Judaism, which, I mean, orthodoxy, goodness, they don't have, not a lot of wiggle room. There's a lot of rules, and you have to do exactly what the rule is. But even orthodoxy says, don't try to do everything at once. You'll be exhausted, and you'll never, you'll never feel good about doing it, and you won't really grow. So you, you know, start with these you know, handful of things you absolutely have to do, and then we'll add this one next week. We'll do this one the week after that. And you move slowly because they recognize that we're human. We have a bad habit of, of getting overwhelmed. So my encouragement to, to you is don't feel bad regardless of what it is. If it means right now you just have to remind yourself at night, start there. Mm-hmm. Then try to do after every meal with, with help. Then maybe eventually you get to a point where you're excited about thanking God because you finished eating and you feel good. That's great, but getting, um, getting there is the point. It doesn't matter how long or how you do it. Yes, ma'am. And then I well, can, I was okay. just going to say, the longer we'll, the longer, okay, like, like she remembers at night, you know, to say it at night. And the longer we put between remembering to do it right, you know, then you might forget the next time. You know, so it would be more important to say it when you do remember mm-hmm. to do it right. than to not remember. <laughs> because then the cycle gets longer and longer, like reading our scriptures or whatever. Right. If you're not remembering to do it in the morning or a specific time or whatever, and maybe things interrupt, and you can get that cycle that goes more further and further out. So it's really important. I. I would think, you know, to do it when you think about it. And then it'll become more common to you mm-hmm. to remember to do it. Well, I mean, we're going to, I'm going to go over here and then over there in just a second. But um, we're getting ready as we get, we're getting to the end of our time here. So the last chapter here talks about Shema. And that's, that's, a, that's a habit. You do it every morning, you do it every night. But you probably forgot a few times when you got started. Maybe you still forget. But it's like part of that process. You build in that habit. You get used to doing it in the mornings. You get used to doing it in the evenings. And eventually you get to a point where you almost... It's just like, of course I do that. Like, you don't even think about forgetting about it. But it does take time. Yes, sir. Well, not just going off something that Marianne said, it's it's admirable to say that I want to have the attitude rather than make it a habit. But that's not the way that we train our children. Exactly. When, when, when Morgan and, and Gregory are training their daughters and now son to be thankful after they eat, their kids don't have a choice. <laughs> um, obviously, they're making it fun. I'm not saying it's, it's me, right. but it's, they're making it a habit so that, and this is the thing when it comes to obedience, that I think that in many, in many ways, Western, Western civilization, because of its resistance to embracing tradition other than their own, or authority, um, or authority has missed it, and that is we obey because we must. If we obey because we must, Eventually, God willing, we will obey because we love. Mm-hmm. But we have to obey. And if we say, no, no, I have to obey because I love, we will never obey. Right. So when we, when we see a commandment, we have to embrace it. Not because, not because, well, I think this is really good for me. We have to embrace it because we don't have a choice. You know, it's good to think, I do not have a choice about Shema. Right. I do not have a choice. I have to say Shema at night right. and in the morning. I don't have a choice. If we make that a part of our routine, a habit, even if it becomes mundane, mundane, we're, we're negating the fact that God is instructing us through it. Even when we don't necessarily completely understand what he's doing, he's instructing us through it so that eventually it will be. I mean, it modifies our life to have good habits. God knows this. Why do we pretend that it doesn't? Right. Absolutely. Yes, sir. 
what he said. Stole your thunder. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I take it all back. You can Praise, ask. Yeah, praise God. I mean, it's, it's, it's that consistency. Um, you know, if, when I was teaching my kids that they needed to use the potty, as Sophia, praise God, is starting to do now, um, you know, it's going to get to a point where, well, she's not wearing a diaper. Well, Dad, I just peed on the floor. Oh, that's okay. You know, at the end of the day, we'll, we'll clean our room up. <laughs> no. Well, you know, no, it doesn't work like that, you know? We need to, we need to balance, and I, I think the Western civilization point is, is key. Intention is so much more important. Right. It's, it's, we've been raised raw. It's as simple as that. We've been poisoned mentally. <laughs> so we need to change that and look at the Hebrew method, which is, you do this because I said you got to do it. Eventually, you'll understand why. Now, I've been over there. And his kids say the Shema. I've heard them do it. They have no idea what they what it means. Get but they're close, doing though. it. They got that. They're uh, doing it. One they're getting it. And you know what? Over time, they're going to know more and more, but it will be ingrained. What's the problem with us? We're old, and we never got the training when we were kids. So now, I did. buckle up and do it. It's hard. Well, it's funny because we're, as we're getting into the, and I know you got a comment, but I'm going to just step ahead real quick and I'll come back to you. Um, when we get into Deuteronomy chapter 11 and talking about the Shema, the second half of the Shema, um, Judaism teaches as you're saying the second half, your focus should be on reward and punishment, which is what it says. You do this, God will bless your grain and your wine and your oil and your cattle. You don't do this, God will... Your host. God will, God will send drought and famine and he'll kick you out of the land if necessary. Reward and punishment. And yet, how does the passage start? The passage doesn't start, you shall fear the Lord your God. It says, you shall love the Lord your God. But the point that, he's, that we're trying to get at is those are connected. Right. You cannot explicit. love God without fearing God. So if you're going to try to love God, you may have to start by fearing God. Amen. And that's okay. Judaism actually teaches... When you say that specific part of the Shema, the focus is reward and punishment. It's not on love. The focus is not warm, fuzzy feelings. And you shall have fuzzy feelings towards God. That's not the point. The point in that passage is God said, do this, and if you do that, he will bless you. And if you don't do that, he will punish you. Hoping that by the time it's done toward the end of that passage, you're scared of doing anything he didn't say to do or not you know, breaking things he did say to do. And as a result of that, what's the top command? Love God. You shall so, have chill bumps. What? what? Yeah. You right. chill bumps. And you will. And you will wrap the film. So you build. You build up. So you start with fear. You start with fearing God because He's in charge and He's scary. And then you work your way to love. And that's the final. That's kind of the final commandment, so to speak, but the greatest one. And don't and don't we have that? I mean, truly, if it's done properly, don't we have that with our fathers, our our, our physical, sure, earthly fathers? You know, this is the guy who can spank you so hard you actually leave the ground. Right. <laughs> and at the end, this is the guy. This is the guy you want to call when you're stranded on the highway because you ran out of gas. Right. How, how does that? This is the guy you want at your wedding. This is the guy that you want at your bedside when you're done. Yeah. Right. For me. Yep. I think understanding the 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 discipline. Is coming from a father that loves a you loving father. beyond Amen. himself, True. and and having spoken from understanding a father who loved me more than himself, yeah. 
I can speak that. Amen. And I wanted to please him beyond all things. Amen. I would do whatever he said because I knew he wanted what was best for me. And is. as we understand a father who is only saying it, you know, because I want you to have the best life possible. Amen. Right. It is for our good right. to obey. That's it. Yeah, so that's it. I see you, Johnny. I've got Gregory over here. Just to Mr. Sprout's point, it's uh, this book by Rabbi Dilber Schneerson. Uh, he, the, the very first thing that you were talking about, you teach your children, like that you absolutely convince them of, is just the existence of God. Right. Like, like yeah. for, they, they have to get that. Like, if they don't even understand it, they just have to know that that is a reality that cannot ever be questioned. Right. Ever. Right. And I thought that was, it was, I was surprised by that because. I didn't, I didn't think that that would be like the first thing. You know, you, you almost you think like, well, what about teaching the Shema, or what about like a specific command, like you know, getting right into it. But then it sort of it, it makes sense when you think about it. The apostolic scriptures say the same thing. We need to understand that He is, and He's the rewarder, and He is the reward. Well, that's first, the first, you got to know that He is. The yes. first commandment, read the Ten Commandments from a Jewish perspective. Commandment numero uno is, I am the Lord your God. I am. In other words, it's not you shall do this, you shall do this, honor your parents, don't have idols, etc. Number one commandment is I am God. If we don't get that, that's that we're going back to what we were talking at the beginning. Romans, Romans chapter one. Where does it start? It starts when we forget God and when we stop being thankful. When you start to lose that disconnect that God is a loving father, that he's doing things for your good, you start to lose the connection that God is God, then everything else We call those pagans. Yeah. Everything else unravels. And that's the and that's the scary thing, and that's why you that's why you start with with those types of things, and then you work into the other stuff. And that's why things like the Shema, even remembering God is God is rewarder and God is punisher, in a kind of fear sense, is very helpful to helping maintain that relationship. Yes, sir. And one of the coolest drashas that I've ever heard by one of the most prolific writers and Jewish minds of the last century, Rabbi Aryeh Kaplan. Um, did a really cool drash on the Shema, and in it, he talks about how there's the English translation for the first verse of the Shema, which begins, and you shall love the Lord your God, you know, the, um, the uh, Ahava passage right there, um, and he goes into it how the Shema is actually all about loving Hashem. The, the blessing in the Shachrit prayer service that you say right before you actually recite the words the Shema is blessed be will Hashem our God who chooses his people Israel by Ahava in love. Mm -hmm. Okay? So and then immediately after you recite Shema, you shall love the Lord your God, you know, and so on and so forth. Well, how does this relate to the actual text of Shema? The Shema is saying, okay, Hero Israel, Hashem Elohenu. Hashem Echad. He's, he, you know, he's huge on meditation, so he actually says, okay, well, I think the Shema was originally intended to be a meditation. And what are the two things we're meditating on here? The fact that we're saying Hashem Elokeinu, first that God, the unknowable God, that we can call him ours. Mm -hmm. He is our God. Okay? And the second thing is that he is one, Hashem Echad. And that by meditating on these two things, that he reveals that the English translation and you shall love the Lord your God actually tends to be, you know, a bit contrived and, and, and sort of inadequate. 
he, what he's driving is that by meditating on and, and coming to a full understanding of the fact that God is ours and he is very close to us and that he is one, there is nothing apart from him, that it's not that you shall, it's not that you have to be imperatively commanded to love Hashem, but that by understanding these two things that you will just naturally you will love, you will love mm. Hashem, your God. And mm. I think that was just really That's profound. cool. Very cool. So we're going to get towards final point here. Actually, that was a final. That was a great that point. That was a great one. Very good. Um, I'm going to wrap up with the end of chapter 11. I, think <laughs> I, I, like the, I like that chapter 11 ties into the beginning. So that was an excellent point, and I like the, um, and it's a good point. We're gonna we're gonna go right after the um, the Shema here, which is loving God, and it says that if you will observe this entire commandment, it's verse twenty-two. Um, remember at the very beginning of this portion, we talked about Ikev, heal, right? And uh, shortly thereafter, in the middle of the portion, we got this discussion of you're gonna fight all these bad guys, and God is going to assist you. Don't be afraid of them. So that the way the portion ends is. Um, if you will observe this entire commandment that I command you to perform it, to love, there's love, Adonai your God, to walk in all his ways and to cleave to him, Adonai will drive out all these nations. So we see that early in the passage, we see it again here. And then it says um, at the very end here, uh, verse 24 and 25, every place where the sole of your foot will tread shall be yours. No man will stand up against you, Adonai your God will set your terror and your fear on the entire face of the earth where you will tread as he spoke to you. In other words, you obey me, I will give you victory with your foot. Isn't that funny how he ties that in? He kept the beginning. You obey me, and you will get the, 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 you'll get the foot reward, so to speak. I will crush with my foot your enemies. The end of the portion, you obey me, and everywhere your foot goes, you will have victory. Gives new imagery to the whole make your enemies your footstool. Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. That's the <laughs> idea. So as as you were talking about the importance of loving God, it's a process. When you when you do that, love God, then the result of that is victory. You have victory in your life. The beginning, God says it's coming from me. At the end, He says it's coming from Him. But the point is, you got these bookends, the heel, these foot imagery bookends at the front and the end to say all it takes is you do A, love and obey me. I will do B. I will give you victory. And that's the that's the point of this portion. So, any final thoughts? You can't trade without putting your heel down first. <laughs> right, exactly. So, um, go and walk this week you know, with God. Alrighty. Um, Thankfulness is being in the acknowledgement of God. Knowledge is God. Yeah. You know how people are always talking about, and I would just wonder what other people have in this passage. Is this is King James? You know, people are always going, how I did this, because I, I prayed for the will of God, I needed to do this, and I wondered what the will of God is, and I fasted or prayed or whatever. But in 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, and everything give thanks, for this is the will Amen. of God. Ooh, that's good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. But how simple, did, I, I think I can't get over the simplicity of some Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Some thank him, stuff, and you're doing you know? his will. Here we go. You know, you are, that's the will of God. That's right. <laughs> Does it say profound. that in all the, you know, different versions? I want to know I what God's will is. Thank you. There we go. Yeah, amen. Dad, would you close us out in prayer? Our Father, our King, we thank you for all that you do for us. We acknowledge that from every good thing that comes into our life comes from your hand. Father, we acknowledge also that the things that are difficult also come from your hand. We thank you for 
breath. In the morning, we thank you for food at each meal. We thank you for the blessing of knowing you, that you revealed yourself to us, though we are as worms. And Father, we thank you that you uh, chose to uh, redeem us through the power of your Son, the Messiah. Father, we thank you that you have not left us without hope, and that our hope is that he will return one day Hallelujah. and set this world right. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. 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 Thank you, John. Mm-hmm.